This week, we continue our series in Mark. God's love invites us to trust Jesus Christ in personal invitation. This is amazing grace, made possible by the rule of King Jesus over all things. Have you responded to God's love? Please join me in reading today's passage, Mark 1, 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. All flesh is grass and all its beauty, it's like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Thank you, Emily. Good morning, church. It is a joy to be in worship with you today. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter 1. We are going to be walking through this text And uh, the word on the class from Emily, Emily, uh, from Aaron, she forgot to mention uh, that the whole thing was her idea. And she wants to go deeper in the actual sermon text. And so that's going to be the passage that's for discussion. And I really wish we had it this week because uh, I know that as we navigate uh, more and more uncertain times with more and more unanswered questions and more changed plans and higher levels of anxiety uh, and deeper levels of frustration in, in many cases, that the safest place for us to run is inside of the refuge who is our God and who sustains and provides strength in his word. And so now more than ever, we, we want to inhabit the story of all stories. And so today I'm going to be uh, bouncing around scripture, but I'm going to do it in a, in a surface level, kind of like a stone skipping. A couple of times we'll do deep dives, but I'm super excited about studying this passage with you. We're going to go to pray. And as we do, uh, I'm going to ask you to intentionally ask the Lord to open your hearts for his spirit to touch you. And I want to remind you, not only of that class, we also have other classes that meet on Sunday morning. We believe that studying the word is extremely important. And we do that in community. Please check our website. Uh, All kinds of class offerings that we have for people to grow deeper. It turns out that God gives us a huge gift, whether it's our parent discipleship class that we have uh, or different uh, age-specific classes that we have. We need one another to really flourish. So, um, And don't forget, yet this week uh, we begin our Financial Peace University for the year. Uh, it was $130. You heard Callan say it's free now for you, for family members, for friends. Please, please, please take this as an advantage uh, uh, to reach out to people or you yourself let's walk together for financial health. Uh, that's a huge opportunity for us. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you're faithful. We thank you for your word. We gather as your people secure in your work. Lord, we thank you that you know the burdens of our hearts, whether that's financial health or physical health or relational health, Lord, you know the spiritual health. And we ask that you would be uh, clear as we study your word to take the burdens of our heart. Demonstrate your shepherding care. Holy Spirit, please meet us where we're at and give us the humility to surrender, to follow you to where you want us to go. 
Lord, we turn from the idols of our heart and the idols of our world. We turn from the chaos of our culture. And we seek refuge in you. You are the king and you are sovereign. And we praise you this morning by sitting under the authority of your word. Holy Spirit, fill us anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Crazy, crazy days. Crazy days. But the good news is we are secure inside of our sovereign God and his story. What we live is history. It is authored by the living God. He gives us an invitation to participate in his story through his grace and his mercy revealed in his word. <laughs> but we have strength in his sovereignty. Last week, if you were with us, uh, you saw that what we're studying in the Gospel of Mark is an introduction to the story of all stories. It's the story of all stories cosmically. In the beginning, our God is the author of everything, all that is seen and unseen. It's also the stories of story culturally. The Gospel, Mark starts, in the beginning of the Gospel, that intentionally takes on the cultural powers of Mark's day. That would be Caesar and Rome, and today the cultural powers of all the political parties that are trying to gain the upper hand, they're nothing unless God so foreordains it. God is the author of all power and all of history. It's cosmic, it's cultural, and it's a story of stories covenantally. Because it introduces to us Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the long-awaited one. That's how Mark starts. And you will see in this section, if you have your Bibles open, that the first 15 verses actually come as a set. The, the gospel begins with, in the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in verse 15, if you have your Bible open, it says this, uh, the, it, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel, the good news, the invitation and the announcement of all the stories of the story. Every story we live or we know of finds its fullness in God's story. And at the center of this section is what we're going to study today. It is, in fact, the revelation of who the king is at the center of the gospel. It is, in fact, uh, uh, an invitation that when he is coronated as king, that he invites you to be a part of things. Now, look, he does this because of his love for you. John says it clear in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. He does it from love, and we all want to be a part of love story. And I want to, I'm going to let you know my strategy today, okay? My strategy is uh, I'm, I'm going to just set the table for God to reveal himself in such a compelling way that whether you love him right now or not, you will be compelled to follow him. I can't do that, but Holy Spirit can do it, right? He is so gracious to reveal himself. Uh, here's an analogy, a parallel. Lisa and I, my wife, we've been married over 21 years. We're excited about that. I met her at a Young Life camp in North Carolina. When I met her, I didn't love her right off the bat. But there was something about her, something about her substance, her, her depth, her authentic faith, her beauty, her joy, her discipleship 
that compelled me to follow her and quite literally run after you at times, right? I told Lisa the second day I knew her, I'm going to marry you. Yeah, I didn't want to tell her the first day. I didn't want to rush things, you know. So, but seriously, my heart followed that commitment. And if it's possible to be more in love with someone after 21 years, then I'm experiencing it. Thanks be to God. My heart is that you see Jesus in such a way today that you are compelled to run after him with all you've got and to trust him with your heart because he is the only one that can give us what we are longing for. Our greatest problem is not all of what we read about in the headlines and all of our frustration and pain. Our greatest problem is that we don't trust the love of God enough and we don't love him enough. Now let's look at this. The first thing that we're going to see, we're going to be in the word uh, beginning right here uh, in the verse nine. In those days, in those days, what were those days? If you remember last week, you'll remember these are the days of wilderness revival. John the Baptist, he has throngs and throngs of people that are coming to him to be baptized and to repent. Verse five, it's clear. It's a, a baptism of repentance. In those days of revival in the wilderness, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now that's actually very significant because in the midst of all of the crowds of people, Jesus came from Nazareth. What good comes from Nazareth, right? That's what Nathaniel would ask in John chapter one when he heard about Jesus of Nazareth. He said, Nazareth, what good comes from there? But Jesus came up from Nazareth as a nobody. Nothing separates him from all the throngs of all the people that are going into the wilderness as a part of this revival. He's coming from nowhere. And that's actually super significant because he is coming to be baptized by Jesus. And in fact, Nathaniel in chapter one of John, who says, can anything good come from Nazareth? By verse 49, he acknowledges that Jesus is king. Why? Because he heard about this exact story that we're going to talk about. The first thing that we see in verse nine is that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, I love this quote by Vern Poitras. He's a phenomenal writer. We're going to look at the Trinity today, and he has some of the greatest stuff on the Trinity, a lot of free stuff, PDFs online. uh, So you can just look up what he says. I've got lots of recommendations for you today. But he says that Jesus's baptism is an act of humility. In his baptism, he consents to be counted as if he were sinner along with everyone else. Here's why that quote is important. Because Jesus was perfect. He was introduced by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. We love that about him. But the problem is that in verse 5 of this chapter, we read that this was a baptism of repentance. How could a perfect man Take a baptism of repentance. What does he need to repent of? Why would he do it? Well, the answer is found actually in Mark's, uh, Matthew's version of the story. When Jesus comes, Mark, Matthew records this. Uh, John the Baptist is actually hesitant to baptize him. He's like, ah, yeah, you know, this is a baptism of repentance thing and you don't need to. You're the Lamb of God. You're perfect and all that, Jesus. I don't want to be the one to teach you a lesson here, but what's up? And Jesus says in John, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, 
He says, I must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does that mean to fulfill all righteousness? Well, on the one hand, it means identification. Jesus had to fully identify with humanity, fully human. That's why that quote from Poitras is actually important. He had to come as if he were a sinner so that later he could stand or die in the place of sinners. Identification. Here's some hope for you in this. You're not alone. Jesus came to fully identify with you. But secondly, not only that, substitution. Jesus came as the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God. And for him to take away our sins, this baby that was born to die, he had to actually perfectly identify with us so that when he died, he represented us. Substitution. You can begin again, no matter where you're coming from this morning. Old Testament ceremonies, we're going to get a little bit in the Old Testament. Again, we're going to skip across this. They would use uh, water to set apart and to consecrate priests. You can see it in Leviticus chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 15. It was so the priest would be set apart or consecrated to offer a sacrifice on behalf of God's people so that God's presence could be restored with his people. That's God's ultimate goal. His glory with us. And this is significant because Jesus is identifying with that priestly method of consecration through baptism. The water would, would cleanse. But in this case, uniquely, the priest is the sacrifice. Rather than a lamb that would be offered on behalf of the forgiveness of sins, Jesus is that lamb of God. And so Hebrews chapter 9 verses 12 to 22 would describe how our priest, who is our sacrifice, cleanses us with his blood so that he can provide a better eternal way back to the Father. How do we get there? We must be born again of the Spirit. And so that's why the second thing we see is tremendously important. He was baptized in the Jordan by John and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, baptize, it literally means submersion. And when Christ comes up out of the water, immediately. Mark uses this word seven times in this chapter, over 35 times in the whole uh, gospel. And you might say, well, he uses immediately a lot. He must have like ADD, a short attention span like me. He wants things to move real fast immediately. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Really? 21st century guy here. No. Immediately here carry not the significance of uh, a rapid pace of activity. It's a marker and it indicates something of substance. It indicates a significant moment that Mark is calling his, the reader attention to. Immediately, Jesus came out of the water. We should go, well, what happened? Look at this. The heavens were torn open. In a spirit, the spirit descended on him like a dove. That's a big deal. The heavens were torn open. And the spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. The imagery intentionally takes us back again to the Old Testament. Ezekiel, when he was on the banks of the Kabar River, 
and he had the revelation of the Son of God. How did it come? The heavens were torn open. In this case, though, the Spirit of God came down upon the Son of God. And that's also significant when it comes to Old Testament imagery. Because not only is Jesus revealed as the, the, the Son of God, the Son of Man, but he reveals himself as the servant. He is the one that fulfills the prophecy of all servant passages. And, and that's why we, we are going to look at two different places where these servant passages are fulfilled in Christ. The first one is this from Isaiah 65, verse 1. And this is one that Jesus claims later in Luke when he's describing his ministry. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is the servant being prophesied about hundreds of years before Christ came. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, that's the gospel, to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those who are bound. The, at the beginning of the servant revelations that are in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 1, we'll look at it in a minute. Again, the spirit has to descend upon this servant. That's what's happening here. But more than that, are you ready? More than that, for those who put their faith in the suffering servant who was born to die, who was wounded so that we can be healed, who bore our iniquity so that we can be forgiven, who died so that we can live, more than that, he gives us his spirit. Now, this is fascinating. This is Paul and Titus in chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. And if you're walking with anybody trying to explain the gospel with them, I encourage you to just have Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 8 handy. I always pull it out when I'm talking to people. It really helps. This is just a portion of that. I was super encouraged this week, by the way. Um, we prayed last week that we'd have dozens of new baptisms um, uh, for Easter morning. And I, I had a conversation with uh, somebody from our congregation who's been walking with someone for over a year. Say, like, will you please pray for this guy? Our cultural scenario right now has really opened the door for me to share the gospel. Absolutely. So exciting. But anyway, this is the kind of a thumb notes version of the gospel. I love it. He saved us not because of works of us done by righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ our Savior. You see, Jesus was being inaugurated by the Spirit, so to speak, acknowledged as the prophet, the suffering servant, the suffering servant, the prophet prophesied about, but also so that he could give the Spirit to those who put their faith in him. That's crazy. It is so cool. What a story. What a story. Now, I got to tell you, I said last week we'd come back and talk about this being baptized in the spirit thing. And I, and I want to tell you about a, a, a friend of mine. Good friends always tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. And they said to me, they said, Mitchell, you know, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you kind of sound like, you're looking for some sort of power to be a superhero power, like a Marvel comic or DC person. Like when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're able to like, wow, do all these crazy, powerful things. I said, well, thank you for telling me that because that's not really what the Spirit's all about. The Spirit comes to us through our faith in Christ. It comes upon us by the grace of God. And when we are saved 
born again by the Spirit, then we are renewed. And we do have a, a certain power, but it's the power to give our life away. You see, Paul will talk about Christians being uh, the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit forms, fills us. And Paul in Ephesians 4 commands his people, pray for the filling of the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, Paul says, but be filled, seek to be filled with the Spirit. And so there is this way that we can cultivate an environment where we can be filled more and more with the Spirit of the living God. But he shapes us to be more like Christ on the outside. That's called sanctification. The gift of God's grace is that he doesn't leave us where we are, but he takes us to where he wants us to be. And that is more Christ-like conformity. And so let's walk through a few opportunities that the Spirit gives us. First, the Spirit is a person and not a power. He is a member of the Godhead. You can see this chart here. The Spirit is not the Father and he's not the Son. He is God and he participates in the Godhead. This is why we read uh, the New City Catechism, chapter th uh, question three, so that we could be reminded of the worthiness that the Spirit has to be worshipped as God. But the Spirit himself is always pointing to Jesus. Some people call him the shy member of the Trinity because he's always pointing and trying to glorify Jesus. But he, in our lives, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uh, sanctifies us. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2, uh, that we, we should be imitators of God. We should walk in love as Christ has loved us, giving his life for us. <laughs> the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ so that we can give our life away, uh, away for others. And Christ, uh, Father loved us so much that he sent his only son. And the son loves us so much that he fills us with his spirit and sends us to love the world. Satisfaction. In the Spirit, 1 John chapters 1 to 3, check them out later today, uh, he gives us a deep satisfaction in God's love where we don't need or hunger and thirst for anything more than that. No status, no position, no more significance. We have that in Christ. Satisfied. Are you satisfied? Because Jesus offers that through his Spirit. Thirdly, he gives us security. Nothing can take us from the love of our Father in Christ Jesus. Nothing. That's the end of Romans 8. We have a new significance through the Spirit's work in our life. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 10. All of the spiritual blessings that are ours in heaven, all the spiritual blessings in heaven are ours. All the spiritual riches are ours because of the Holy Spirit sealing us in our salvation and helping us, this final one, uh, to be children of God. Uh, the final one up there is the status. By the Spirit of God, you can see this in Galatians 4 or Romans 8, we are adopted as children. And so I, uh, I read this book this week to try to get some clarity on how to distill this down, and I want to recommend this to you. It's John Stott, uh, The Work of the Holy Spirit Today, written a few decades ago, but it's very applicable today. Um, it's called Baptism and Fullness, talking about the Holy Spirit. If you want a copy of this, I will get you a copy if you promise to read it. And I'll even take you to coffee and talk about it once the whole COVID crisis clears up. But 
The work of the Spirit. This is why we're called to be born again um, by the Spirit. That's what Jesus or John says in chapter 1 of 12 and 13 of the Gospel of John. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus. You've got to be born of the Spirit. Are you? Have you been born again? Do you have the, the, uh, the look of Christ, sanctification? Are you satisfied? I mean, just imagine if you were satisfied in life. How much of a difference would that make? Holy Spirit gives us that in the love of Jesus. Security offered in Christ through the Spirit. A sense of significance. You don't have to prove your worth anymore. And a secure status that nobody can take away. And finally, the last thing that we see uh, is uh, the last verse that we have. A voice from heaven came down. He said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Again, geography is important. This no one who came looking like everyone from nowhere, Nazareth, now has a voice from heaven. <laughs> that sets him apart speaking down over him in thunderous claps for all to hear. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now that's a powerful scene. I would have loved to be able to be there to see that. But what's even more powerful is how this explodes our understanding of who Jesus is. Mark does this a couple of times he'll, in his gospel. He'll take two different Old Testament teachings about who the Messiah is and put them together and show you that Jesus is more powerful and more authoritative than you can imagine. And he's more of a servant than any of us are comfortable with. Look at this phraseology. You are my beloved son. That comes from Psalm 2. When the messianic, um, the messianic uh, psalm points to the eternal king that will rule over every authority. And they particularly, particularly call out earthly political authorities in that. How does God respond when the turbulent political authorities are aligning against the Lord and his anointed? It says he laughs at them. This is Jesus, my beloved son, but again, with whom I am well pleased. Isaiah 42, 1 is the prophecy, and my marker fell out, please forgive me, of the suffering of the servant that will be later revealed as a suffering servant. And he says, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And what Mark is doing in the same way that, he, that uh, Jesus reveals in chapter 10, verse 45, is he is saying God is far more powerful than you can understand. He is the king of kings. This is a coronation statement. This is my beloved son. This is the one. This is the one history has been waiting for. This is the one our hearts have been longing for. This is the king. Aslan is here. And he is far more of a servant than you're comfortable with because he has come to live the life that you could never live, to die the death you deserve to die. He's going to be rejected so you can be accepted. He's going to be beaten so that you can be healed. He's going to be mocked so that you can hear the loving voice of our father. That's who this king is. What a powerful picture. What an amazing story. 
But the coronation of Jesus is also an invitation to his people. And I want to quickly just look at these two, three different ways that we're invited by this coronation. The first is, this is the Trinity. This is the Trinity that we see. Father speaking from heaven. Spirit descending down. Jesus being acknowledged as king. God in three persons living eternally revealing themselves temporally. This is for you, the community and the connection that you long for and you crave for. This is God saying, I've come for you. I've come to be with you. I've done everything you need to come to me. That's powerful. But secondly, what we see is union with Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are inside the context of the King of Kings, one with him. And there's several verses we're not going to have time to look at, but I really want to challenge you here. If you had heaven open up and the Father spoke to you, what do you think he would say? When you are one with Christ in union with him, then the words, my beloved son, with whom I am pleased, those are for you. But most people I walk with and work with, they think the father speaks words of disappointment. Oh, I wish you would try harder again. I can't believe you're still wearing wrinkled clothes. They think they would hear voices of, of discouragement, right? I keep struggling with this sin. When are you going to get over it? They think they would hear a voice of disbelief. Did you for, forget to brush your teeth? I mean, shower? I mean, pray again? I mean, I can't believe I'm still struggling with this with you. Most people think that if heaven ripped open and spoke, that they'd hear a voice of devastation. You're too spoiled from your sin. You've messed up too much for me to love you. Or dissatisfaction. You're never going to be enough. Stop trying. Or disenchantment. Well, I used to think you were something special but now I really know you. You see, when you put your faith in Christ, the Bible teaches you are one with Christ. In Romans chapter six and various other places, it says that you're buried with Christ. Uh, we're just gonna read it, it's up there. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us, listen, all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Next verse. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. Look at this. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like this. The Bible teaches that we are united with Christ. And when the Father looks down from heaven and you're in Christ, he is pleased with you. He loves you. He's not dissatisfied with you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not disenchanted with you. He's pleased with you. That's powerful love because the king identified so that he could be a substitute for us. Now, the last two things, historically, we're going to see next week, Jesus was launched into proclaiming the kingdom of God historically, but personally, Jesus came so that you could return to the Father. I'm going to make an invitation to you all. 
if you believe that the Father looks at you in disappointment, we're going to go into worship. We're going to sing two more songs. But if you believe the Father looks at you and he's disappointed and he's in disbelief that you continue to fail and he's discouraged, are you, are you calling yourself a Christian? Then you don't know the love of our Father. Our Father looks at you when you're in Christ and he sees Christ's perfect record and he sees a daughter and he sees a son he sees a child, and he says, I love you. I love you just how you are, not how you think you should be. I love you. I love you when you fail. I love you when you're far off. I love you when you try to satisfy yourself with the, the pleasures of this world and you found yourself empty. I love you when you want to come home. I love you when everyone else has rejected you. I love you so much that I sent my son, God himself, to live the life you couldn't live and die the death you deserve to die. And friends, let me tell you, that love will give you everything that you're longing for, craving for, and looking for. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you ripped heaven open to reveal to us your love that's found in Jesus Christ alone. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us the security, the status that we have in you. Help us, Lord, to hear the voice, the voice of our Father as your child. You're pleased with us in Christ, that all the riches of heaven are ours in you, Jesus, that you welcome us with open arms as your children. Lord, those who are lost can come home. Those who are dead can find life. Lord Jesus, will you teach us to party? In your name we pray, amen.